Hi, welcome back to the Commission Podcast. I'm Adam, and I run the creative comms here at Commission. I'm here with Richard Perkins, or Perks as he's known, the director of church planting. Hey, Perks. Adam, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, welcome back to our new series on church planting. We want to give you a taste of what it's like to start new churches with interviews with church planters from around the city. We'll talk to our own planters in the network, and we'll also talk to like-minded ministry partners, people who, like us, share a heart for reaching the lost of our city. Along the way, we'll hear repeated stories of godly people stepping up to get these plants off the ground. We'll hear stories of answered prayers and God opening and closing doors as he guides his mission. And most importantly, we'll hear stories of people brought to saving faith through the evangelistic activity of ordinary Christian men and women. It's going to be encouraging. Today, we're going to hear from Sam Gibb, who's the lead planter at Hope Church Vauxhall. I'm a quality guy, a real layered onion. You are going to have to explain what that means. Yeah, yeah, okay. By that, I mean there's many layers to his skill set. He's a, basically a one-person admin team there. Um, and he does quality animations on PowerPoint, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> I, th- I think he will, um, he will challenge uh, the assumption that he is a one-man admin team. I think he's a creative team. I think he, uh, he would say, I really need admin help. Yeah. Um, I think there's a difference, isn't there, between creativity and administration. Definitely. Particularly if you're anything to go by. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, give us a customary intro. So, okay, a little bit about Sam. Sam's married to Charlie. Uh, and they've got a young son who I think is less than one at the moment, maybe a bit more. Um, yeah, young son called Judah. Sam studied at Oak Hill Theological College um, and has got previous ministry experience from time at All Souls Langham Place in central London. And this plant at Hope Church Foxhall that we're going to hear about comes out of um, the globe with John T. Alcock, where Sam and Charlie were for a period of time before they planted. Mm. Amazing. Well, we hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to episode two. I'm here with Sam Gibb. Hi, Sam. Hi. Hi. Sam, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah, so um, I'm Sam. Um, I'm a pastor here at Hope Church in Vauxhall, uh, married to Charlie, and we have um, a little boy, Judah, who's 18 months old. Yeah, that's us. Tell us a little bit about Vauxhall and the bit of Vauxhall that you're in. Give us a flavour of what it's like be here? What, what would you find if someone were to be dropped here? Yeah, so, so Vauxhall, um, Vauxhall's a, a set, like right in the centre of London. Um, we're on the Vauxhall Gardens estate, which is one of the uh, multiple estates um, in, uh, in Vauxhall. Uh, massively multi- multicultural, which wouldn't surprise anyone who, who knows central London. Um, it's, a, it's a council estate, so the majority of housing is still social housing. Um, slowly but surely, it is getting uh, sold off. Um, but because the, the buildings here are beautiful old sort of mid-war um, council blocks rather than the kind of much newer um, concrete sort of things, they're, they're well protected. So you can't actually knock the blocks down on this estate. So it remains still majority social housing. Um, that's changed massively over uh, 50 or so years uh, with immigration. Um, so lots of, um, so there's a large amount of Eritrean uh, refugees who have ended up here. Jamaican, um, Latin American, Nigerian, and pretty much any other kind of culture that you can find, you can find them here. We're not far away from Stockwell where you've got a lot of Portuguese. So that kind of uh, brings over here lots of Portuguese restaurants and stuff in the area. So massively diverse. Um, yeah, qu- quite a poor area um, socioeconomically. Um, uh, lots of families. Um, so lots of kids, um, single parents, um, large rate of, t- of teenage pregnancy in, in, in the estate. Um, and then you've also got the kind of, um, we're quite close to Westminster. So you've got lots of people who are looking for places to live while working for the civil service. So you've got civil servants who live on the estate in the, 
um, in the places that are available for rent. So massively diverse, lots of uh, yeah, social deprivation. So we've, I mean, we run a food bank, so we've noticed since, uh, yeah, I mean, in the last couple of months, we've noticed that the food bank has got busier and busier and busier. And that's just representative of the people who are, who are living in, in this area. But a community as well. So people, a lot of people have lived here for a long time and love this place and, and feel that, that the community that they had maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago has kind of disappeared, but they still know each other. So it feels a little bit, as you're walking around, it feels a little bit like being in a village at times. Everyone seems to know each other. The kids play with each other in the parks. Um, mums and dads chatting on the on, on the streets, like not like being in other places in Central London where people walk past each other and ignore each other. So there is a community and that's been massively valuable to, to know as we've sort of uh, yeah, lived here and started the church. And, and on the Vauxhall Gardens estate, that a recognisable community that you know when you've left it, uh, it's different when you leave it. Is it how, how big is that community? Yeah, d- definitely. Rec- so recognisable to the people who belong to it. Lots of people would walk through it and have no idea. They're just walking through more blocks and, and, and the blocks are similar elsewhere in Lambeth and, and Southwark. So you wouldn't really know it unless you knew it. But certainly when, when I come back from being out of London, either driving through or walking back off, getting off the train and walking back in, it, I notice suddenly knowing everybody who I'm walking past and, and starting to speak to people, whereas half a mile away, I would be walking and know nobody at all. So definitely a recognised community and a community that people love each other and look after each other. So genuinely people are regularly kind of checking in on each other. So um, I hear stuff on the estate from other people who um, will hear that someone's suffering with something or someone's passed away on one of the blocks and I'll hear about it through multiple people because people know each other. So in some ways there's levels to it. So some people just keep themselves themselves and, and ignore everybody else. Some people who have moved in more recently have no real interest in engaging the community. But as a kind of a layer in a sense of people who have lived here for a long time, who have those kind of relationships and really deeply care about each other. So you definitely know that you're here and then you can step, you know, five minutes walk away and you can be in a completely different place. So there's the Ethelred estate is, is a neighbouring estate. Some similarities, some crossover, but feels very different and people would would feel they belong to that estate rather than to, to this estate. So yeah, there's there's that segregation, separation, community sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just even if you walk back um, through the gardens, just yeah. here. I mean, you're in a as soon as you hit Vauxhall Station, yeah, you fit. It feels different, doesn't Completely it? And then yeah. if you you know in five minutes more, actually two minutes more, you're on you're on Vauxhall Bridge Road. Yeah, you've got yeah. Yeah, MI5 right there, or is it MI6? I'm never entirely no, sure. I can't remember. Yeah, it's James Bond's place anyway. It gets, gets blown up. And uh, and then you're you know you cross the other side of the river and then yeah. you've got if you stand in the gardens and look you that is that the the, the nine elms development I can see or yeah, is that so, just new city no so that's all yeah so 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 as you're as you're looking out of the estate um, across the Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens you're looking at nine elms and that's a completely different like it's a completely different place it's um and people so it's, so it's interesting I quickly learn when when I first moved to 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 this area. I lived in Kennington, which isn't far away, but like five, I, I walked five minutes to get from where I, my flat that I lived in to the, to the church building that we're in now. But I bumped into a lad who I knew on the estate and um, I said, I'm, I'm heading home. And he said, oh, I thought you lived locally. And what he meant was like, you're crossing over that road. You, you're no longer local. I know people, so there's lots of people living here who would, who would talk about going, going into London. Like you can literally walk half an hour and you're like at, West, at Westminster. You can, you can be in the House of Parliament in half an hour from here but they will still talk about going to London as though it's a different place to where they live. So it, it has got its own identity, its own feeling massively, yeah. Do you know the population size here? 
15,500 people per square kilometer in the Prince's Ward. And I think the national average of residential areas is 500 people. So 15,500 rather than 500. Wow. That's how many people. I think on the estate itself, so the Vauxhall Gardens estate, which would probably cover, I don't know exactly, but less, probably less than, a, I mean, it is, it is less than a square kilometer, maybe half a square kilometer. I think we're talking like four, um, 5,000 people that, that are definitely known on the estate. And then within that, there's other, so there's a, a little mini estate I've discovered on the Vauxhall Gardens estate, which is a separate estate. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been here five years. I'm still learning all this kind of stuff, but yeah, massively residential. You've described the demographic makeup of this area. Tell us a little bit about some of the ideological commitments, some of the religious convictions mm. that people have here. Yeah, sure. Um, so there's quite a large um, in, uh, influence of um, Roman Catholicism. Um, so some of that has come over from kind of Ireland. So uh, people have been here for yeah, 50, 60 years, but originally kind of came over. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of like, kind of Roman, Roman Catholicism there. A large amount of cultural Christianity in some of the kind of Nigerian um, uh, and other African kind of nations and guys who have come over from there. So interestingly, lots of people who would send their kids to Sunday school in some of the bigger uh, churches in the area, but would have no interest in kind of being involved in church themselves. Others who would go to um, a church, particularly kind of predominantly African cultural church in and around the area. So with the Eritreans, so the majority of Eritrean refugees who have kind of ended up in, in Vauxhall would be Eritrean Orthodox and the same with, with, with various other kind of Orthodox stuff. So Russian Orthodox, would ha we'd have a number of, of those kind of guys as well. Interestingly for me, most people believe in God. So I rarely have to have a conversation with someone where I, where I convince them that God exists. Most people would assume God, even those who, who wouldn't necessarily call themselves religious. There's just a, a kind of assumption. I think within the kind of, particularly within the white working class, that, that God exists. Like, why wouldn't God exist? How would this world be without God? But their understanding of who that God is, their understanding of who Jesus is, their understanding of what the gospel is, is, is massively kind of blurry and, and very confused and would have lots of different kind of cultural influences. There's also a large amount of people who engage in some kind of spirituality, particularly people who go to like, tarot reading sort of things. There'd be lots of people who would engage with kind of spiritualist stuff. I am starting to be more and more prepared for more of the kind of demonic, the reality of the demonic involved in people's lives. So I'm, I'm, I'm not preparing to kind of cast out demons immediately, but recognizing that those kind of things have had a massive influence, both in, in both the white working class cultures and the other kind of backgrounds that people have come from. And that people are, are kind of tapping into some of that stuff. And, and that makes a big difference to what people believe in and how people live. So you've told us something about who it is you're trying to reach. How did Hope Church come about? Because it didn't used to be here. Uh, and it's only been here a few years. So tell us how that's happened. Yeah, so um, there has been ministry here on the Vauxhall Estate for, I think, at least 60, 60 years. Um, I don't know the, the specific statistics, but London City Mission have been working in this area for a long time. And I think there was Christian ministry before London City Mission, whatever that, that looked like. I think different boroughs did different things. Um, that's looked very, very differently over time. So I met a guy recently who started coming along to one of our groups and he used to come to a kind of non-alcoholic bar that we, that we hold where we now, that used to be held where we now kind of have the, have the food bank running. And he said that that it was like this this proper like incredible like you'd you'd put your 
knife in a in a bin when you arrived. I mean, he I don't think he carried, but he put his people would put their knives in a bin and they just hang out. All these different people from different backgrounds and different kind of cultures and different gangs and stuff would all hang out together. And, and so that's the ministry that they've had here. Previous um uh, previous to to us being here, there was a a lady called Connie who worked for London State Mission. Um, and she worked particularly with Eritrean women in the area, which I didn't know massively about until I arrived. And lots of the Eritreans who we started having interactions with uh, knew her. And um, she sadly passed a few a few years ago, but she'd had an incredible ministry. So ministry had looked like very, very different over 50 years here. But there was a heart to do something more than just have a centre that was running. So when I arrived, there was a centre. It was run by London City Mission. They were running activities for people in the community, football clubs, that sort of thing, youth clubs. But when people came to faith or when people were kind of in that process of, is, is, this, is this real? Am I going to believe this stuff? Do I want to follow Jesus? What does that look like? A community center that does evangelism isn't the, isn't the place for, for those people. A church is the place for those people. And yet there were no churches that it was easy to plug those people in, into. And so there was a desire to plant a church here. Um, there'd been an attempt um, through um, London City Mission and Co-Mission working together. A guy called Pete, who is very loved in this community, lots of people speak very highly of him, um, had uh, planted here. Um, but for various reasons, it hadn't really worked out. But that had, that had happened, that had been and gone, and there was still a heart, still a desire that it was right to have a church here. And so I, yeah, I was uh, asked, I was in a position where I didn't have anything that I was doing, um, uh, a church plant that I <laughs> <laughs> that, you, you've got to say more about that. Because, well, what, yeah. what does that actually mean? Were you just means, sat at home thinking, do you know what? At some point, I've got to make a decision about what I do with my life. I, I'd, I'd left Bible college. I knew I wanted to plant, um, or I, I thought I wanted to plant. Um, I loved London. Me and my wife had, had really grown a heart for London and for, um, for particularly areas of London which, which were massively unreached and particularly estates. A church plant that we were planning to do had fallen through and hadn't happened. So I, I did have about six months of not really being sure what that would look like. Um, what I was supposed to be doing at wonderfully a church in North London in Enfield, um, Enfield Free, um, Enfield Town Free Church had put us up and gave us somewhere to, to live. And then uh, John T. Alcock approached me, chatted to me. I knew John T. Um, from when he was at Bushill Park Church, another church plant in North London. Um, he's now the pastor of Globe Church. At that stage, he, he, he'd planted Globe and he'd been involved in conversations with London City Mission, Co-Mission, the FIC about Globe Church helping to restart something and kick off another church plant in, in Vauxhall. And he asked me if I want to be involved. And so we, yeah, we, we wanted to, we, we felt that it was the right thing. But the, the key thing really was, would we be able to work within the different networks? Because London City Mission, big network, big organization, doing wonderful ministry, co-mission, again, big network, doing lots of uh, amazing things. The FIEC, you know, their involvement there, Globe Church. So it was very complex. And, and when I arrived, the key thing really was, can these organizations and networks work together to produce something that could be really, 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 really precious, really, really wonderful here? So I met with a guy called Kevin Croft, who's now one of the elders. Um, he was the, the team leader here in Vauxhall and working with London City Mission. And we, the big question for us was like, do we even like each other? So we asked, we had this kind of conversation where, <laughs> where it was like, no, no holds bars, ask each other whatever you want, which, which when you're planting a church with someone is really important. Like, can I actually not, do we have the same theology that matters? Not just, you know, do I like this guy, but genuinely like, can we, can we work together? So we asked each other deep, like proper, we had an hour or, or two together and we asked proper deep questions about each other's lives and stuff. We really wanted to know whether we could work together. And we, and we felt, we, we both then went away 
and felt like we could. So both went back to, to John T and said, yeah, we think this could, this could work. And that kind of started the process. We then moved into the, into the area. We had about six months of being part of Globe Church and trying to sort of work out what it would look like to plant a church that had um, some of the kind of DNA of, of guys like Globe, the co-mission, the, the FIC, London City Mission, uh, but was its own thing for the, for the people of Vauxhall. And so in September 2018, after six months of, uh, of being with, with the guys at, at Globe Church, we planted Hope Church with a group of, of 20 adults. Say more about that piece there you, just, you passed over quite quickly, which was uh, wanting to, to plant a church that would reach the people here. Just, just say more about that. How have you landed here in terms of what you're doing and how you're trying to do it that might be distinct from other churches with which you might be familiar? What's distinct about what you're trying to do here? I think lots of things. I think, you know, we have the same, like we, we believe church is church and there's some stuff that you don't mess with. So we preach the word of God. Uh, we, we, we sing songs of worship. We read scripture. We do communion. We do baptisms. Um, we have church membership, like we do church, but we, we, we wanted to, in a sense, strip away some of the, not all of the, but some of the unnecessary barriers between people who would say they are, they, they kind of fear God or they know God or they believe in God, but would never in a million years walk into a church. Now the building is helpful because it's not a church looking building. So that massively helps, um, when we, I'm really into kind of like like branding and and that sort of stuff. I'm 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 quite into kind of graphics and art stuff. And I really wanted to th- to think about what what that looked like. And so we looked at the the local area. We thought lots of um so South London, Vauxhall, um lots of chicken shops and that kind of culture is really kind of massive here. And, and we didn't want to lean into that massively, but we did think about the colours of chicken shops being kind of bright. And so the sort of reds, the yellows, the blues, the whites. That's what we kind of went for, for our kind of branding stuff, which is very different to a lot of churches, not better, not worse, but I think different to the, sometimes the kind of neutral tones that churches naturally go for. We, we want it to go bright and bold. In terms of the fonts, we looked at the local, the local shops and the, and the kind of the fonts that the shops were like had for their kind of uh, shop fronts. And we, we stole some of those to kind of use, use as the kind of text that we were using. So those kind of things to try and make immediately when we launched, we wanted people to feel like this is a place just as I look at your posters or whatever, I thought this is a place that draws me in. In terms of like what that meant in terms of what we do, we're very relaxed on a Sunday. Arguably, one of the things that, that, that a number of people said is we lack a bit of reverence. Now, I don't want that to be the case. Um, and I'm working, we're trying to work on that. Like, how do we remain relaxed while, while having a real awe and reverence for the Lord? And I think we, we don't always fall the right side of that. Um, and we should, we can, we can definitely learn from that. But basically if you come into Hope Church, most people will be wearing the most relaxed stuff you've ever seen at a church. Like people don't, people won't dress up. I mean, people dress down to come to church at Hope Church sometimes because people realize that they feel if they're wearing what they wear in the week and they come to Hope Church, they feel overdressed. So people dress down for Hope Church, which is funny. And we're just relaxed as people arrive. So you, you, you'd come in the doors, there'd be someone would meet you outside while smoking, probably they'd, they'd chat to you, they'd give you, they'd offer you a cup of tea, you'd come in, you'd have a cup of tea. And um, we say we start at 11, the service doesn't actually start till quarter past, uh, but that's intentional. That's 15 minutes where we think people will arrive and they can relax and they don't, they don't, they're not walking in and you're already started and they're like, I don't know where to sit. I don't know what to do. So as they're walking in, they just feel at home, they sit down. We're relaxed from the from the front, but we start with scripture. 
Um, we do some stuff that is very different. So um, we we rap, not all the time, but um, but every Sunday we learn um, truths about God through rap. So we do catechisms. We've we've worked through three Shylin raps. I'm looking for some guys who are British guys who could do some stuff specifically for this context and some catechism in rap. And I'm in the process of kind of trying to work out whether whether there's somewhere we could go with that. But essentially, we're learning amazing truths about Jesus in catechisms, which is centuries and centuries old. Um, uh, yeah, for, you know, as old as the church catechism is essentially. I'd love to hear a bit about, um, so just just preaching, you know, in terms of your, in terms of word ministry on a Sunday, what does that look like? So, um, so I, I, I preach um, exegetically from chunks of, um, of the Bible. So uh, since we started, we've basically been going through the book of Matthew. Um, it will take us five years to get through the whole of Matthew. And I interrupt that with, with other stuff. Sometimes we slow down, sometimes we speed up. Yeah, chunks, verses, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. How long are you preaching for? About 45 minutes. Whoa. And um, lots of colour, lots of illustration. Yeah, loads of illustrations, definitely interactions. So I will often get people to read out the passages as we're going through it. So I'll ask, there's no such thing. So I learned this quite quickly. There was no such thing as a rhetorical question where people aren't, 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 aren't churched. Like people straight away, straight away are answering your, your rhetorical questions. I've had people, this isn't regular, but I've had people swear at me in sermons. <laughs> I've had people answer the phones and walk to the front. And I think that's part of the reality of people aren't just slipping into some church culture that uh, those of us who have been in church for most of our lives naturally slip into this is what's appropriate in church. I, I wouldn't know what to do in a betting shop because I've never been comfortable in a betting shop. Why would you expect someone to come into church and then adhere to some rules that aren't written anywhere, that aren't, aren't spoken to them? So we want, to be, we want to be gentle and generous to people. And so I'm really happy with engagement. But I will say to people, if people put, so sometimes people put their hand up with a question in the middle of a sermon. And if I think it's going to really interrupt the, the, what I really want to say right now, I will say to them, I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll come to that later on. But for the time being, I'm going to stick on this. So we want to, the, the priority is, you know, the preaching of God's word. That's where the power is. I want people to feel like they can ask questions, that they can engage with it. It's an engaging thing. I think preaching should always be engaging, not just I'm an engaging preacher. I, I, that, that's not just what, I don't just want to be an engaging preacher. I think that it should engage people in a way that, that I'm interacting with them, even if that looks different in different churches. What I love is that it speaks volumes about what you're trying to do here, that you've got people coming into church who don't know the rules of engagement. That's just, that is absolutely fabulous. That's, that's why you planted, trying to reach the people for whom being in a church and being familiar with how church operates, just, they, they, they just, they don't know that. That's, that's terrific. It's fantastic. And, and when those guys become believers, which they have done, we also want them, and, and this is why membership is big for us, we want them to shape what that is. So again, we stick with the same principles of church, but those guys come in and they start to shape what the church looks like. So I, I don't look like, most of the people in Vauxhall. So I'm trying to listen to them in order to shape church for them. But the best thing for Hope Church Vauxhall is that the church represents the people in the community. And slowly but surely, we've, we've seen that happen. And that's been one of the biggest joys. So tell us more about that. Tell us some of the highlights of church planting here, running church. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen people come to faith. Like, there's no bigger highlight than that. Like, and um, we haven't seen revival, um, but we have seen people come to faith. We've seen people who have never engaged with church walking into the church building. We've seen people who have would call themselves Christians, but have wandered and, and, and disappeared and had no interest coming back. 
coming coming back to the Lord. So we've we've grown numerically from twenty to regularly now we're about eighty to ninety, but that hasn't predominantly been transfer growth. It's been people moving into the area and engaging with the church. It's been people who have come and and, and bought into the vision, but it's also been families coming who the you know mums come to faith brings her three kids. We've had a number of Eritrean families. Who, so we, we've now got regularly three or four Eritrean families who are regularly coming along. The first, I think probably the first new believer was an Eritrean woman who lives in a flat directly above me. And um, she was just blown away by the gospel of grace, came to, came to faith after coming to church for a few weeks. Um, we're hoping to baptize her soon. She's a bit nervous about that, but we're hoping to baptize her soon. We've had people who have come from um, straight out of either prison or from uh, being in rehab who have heard the gospel there, which is amazing, isn't it? That the gospel is, is in these places, going out in these places, people are sharing the gospel and then looking for a church. So uh, not really sure where they stand, but coming along, coming to faith. And so we've seen the church grow and represent this local community in a way that it didn't when we first started. We've seen one of the, one of the real joys has, has been, and I think this is a real challenge for church planting in central London, but one of the real joys has been um, members of Hope Church who have really bought into what we're doing who would ordinarily be thinking at this stage in life of moving out of London because it costs a lot to live in London. And particularly when you can work from anywhere now and you can still have a job in London, but work from the outskirts or work from you know, the north and, and spend far less money on rent. But these guys are, are, are committing to live locally and even being able to buy flats on the estate to really put down roots. So that's been a, a, a real joy to, uh, to, to see that. So the church family is now much more representative of the local community here, but it is very diverse still. So we've got a number of Cambridge graduates um, hanging out with, with guys who have never left this kind of this, this square mile, you know, more than like two or three times in their life. And they are doing church together. There's, we have a, um, a large amount of Latin Americans. We have Spanish translation um, every, um, every Sunday. And that was a lady called, called Tamsin, who was part of the church. I know you know Tamsin Perks, but um, she was already involved in, in, in co-mission stuff. So she was one of the only guys who really got the co-mission thing when we first arrived, but she really, really did get it. She'd been part of co-mission church before. She had that kind of DNA. She loved co-mission. She'd been part of the attempted church plan previously and that hadn't worked out, but she had a heart for the people here. She'd been a GP in this area. She knew lots of people and she was already running a Spanish Bible study. So that's continued. She now does Spanish translation. We've got an, a, a multiple Spanish speaking families who are coming along and who are members of the, of the church, people whose English is more difficult. So we're translating stuff into Spanish for, for, for members of the church who, who, are, who are Spanish, which is wonderful. I think one of the striking things about your approach to planting here was a determination that you would, you, you would gather a launch team that was committed to the estate, and that meant um, living here, and that's a fairly high bar. So what, do you want to say some more about why that, was a, a conviction for you? Yeah, I, th I think the conviction comes from the fact that in my early conversations when I was getting to know people in the community, I had a number of people who said, oh, it's nice that you're going to do what you're going to do, but it'll only last a short amount of time. So it's nice that you run your projects, but people come and go. And I think it's a recognition that in, in areas like, like Vauxhall Gardens Estate and council estate areas, communities are used to the government, churches, organisations, charities coming in for the period of time where that particular area is needy or is exciting or there's investment and then just disappearing off. And so what I didn't want to be as a church was a church where people came and went and came and went. 
and therefore the, the 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 genuine people who were really local and had lived local for a long time or had no option but being local felt like everybody who came through the doors of the church just really wasn't engaged in the community. So we really wanted to fight against that and push against that. And so we did we did set quite a high bar in terms of the expectation that this wasn't a short-term thing, that, re- that we really wanted people to, to buy in long-term. I think we set that in, in, in the way we didn't say, you need to commit to this many years, but we made it clear in the way that we were doing things in the conversation that we're having, that we were in this for the long haul and we wanted people to engage properly. And we did a, I remember we, re- we read some stuff from Centre Church. So I, I actually sent um, t- two members of the church away to read a, a chunk of Centre Church, come back and present it. They were the only two at the time in our planting group who were already living on the estate who were from a kind of more middle-class background. And I wanted them to, to go away and think about how to engage in the estate, in the life on the estate. And so they read a chapter on that sort of thing from, from Tim Keller. And they then came back and presented that to the rest of the group. And so that sort of thing from those guys really getting the buy-in, I got them to learn it and then to teach it rather than me myself telling people, this is how you need to do it. They, the, the, the group themselves were engaging with this stuff. So that core group that we had at the start was small and I wanted it to be small. I didn't want to plant with 50 people, 60 people, 70 people. We didn't want to plant a church already in, in a sense. We wanted to plant a, a group of people who um, were small enough to be able to really engage properly, uh, but were not so big that they set the culture immediately themselves. So as soon as a new person came in, there's enough change in the group then to set to re to change the culture, to set the culture. So every new person who joined sets the culture a little bit more because joining a group of 20 people is much easier than joining a group of 50 people. Oh, we've talked a bit about the highlights and wonderfully, God has been very kind and gracious and giving that, but it's not always been straightforward, has it? And particularly, there have been some lowlights. Why don't you say a little bit, especially about first six months, first year of, of planting? Yeah, we had an amazing start in lots of ways. Immediately, people from the community started coming along and we saw people come into faith in that sort of first six months, which was amazing. We then sort of very brutally and completely out of the blue had um, a tragedy within the, within the church family. Um, so Toby and Millie um, were members of our, our planting group. So in fact, they were the guys who I, I mentioned earlier who I'd sent away to read Tim Keller to come back and, and talk to us about living in this in this community. They were already living on the estate. So when I arrived at Globe Church, they were part of Globe Church. Uh, so they were kind of the, the prime people really to, to start the, the, the church plant off and um, were nervous about that. They'd, they'd not been part of Globe for that long and um, you know, joining a new church that soon in, but really felt like they were living here. It was right that they joined and they got really excited about that. About yeah, six months in, so we planted in September and in the, um, April. Uh, while they were on holiday, they had a tragic accident and both of them died uh, in, the, in the accident. For me personally, it was really tough. They were, they were some of my closest friends. They'd become really close friends in the lead up to planting. I mean, the, the, the summer leading up to planting, we probably spent more time with each other than we did without each other in, in that summer, just eating food together, hanging out in each other's flats, just trying to work out what it looked like to do church together, to, you know, to love each other well. I would meet with, so um, Toby was, was the husband. I would meet with him on a Thursday, run to his flat from my flat. We'd pray together early in the morning before he went off. He was a school teacher, so before he left on a Thursday morning. And then the Friday, um, the, uh, mainly uh, Millie, his wife, would come to our early morning prayer meeting. So early morning, praying with them regularly, um, uh, yeah, church with them on a Sunday, and then life with them throughout the week. 
and then and then tragically they they were they were, they were taken and it was awful for us as a church family um, i know having spent lots of time with with millie's family particularly um, and other friends it was awful for the whole family they were in their mid 20s had only been married for a, a year and as a as a church it was really tough so uh, you know uh, you know picture a, a young very fragile church those 6 months into church planting people are still kind of uh, yeah, getting getting themselves used to what it looks like to be this community. Um, some new people have joined, brand new believers who um, are, are starting to understand the gospel. And then this tragedy hits, having to, for me personally as a pastor, having to ring up people and tell them that you know that, that their their close friends had, had had died, and just not having the words to kind of even do that. Like, no, you know, no one trains you for that sort of thing, and yet it, you know, it inevitably is gonna is gonna happen at some stage. I didn't expect it to happen that early. And so we, yeah, we, we had to go through that as a church and it was tough and it was painful. And yet God in his kindness brought real joy. I've, I've, I've just been preaching in, um, in Romans 8 and um, in all things, we are more than conquerors in all things. So it is in all things that Christ takes those things and turns them for good, not not always out of those things, not always over those things. We, we we don't conquer over those things. In those things, God uses those things for his glory and for our good. And that's not just a nice Christian cliche. That's so deeply true. And we really felt that as a church. Um, so we'd been preaching uh, through Matthew, uh, through the Beatitudes, and seeing the, the, the right now realities and the not yet future realities that we can cling to, the hope of the future, the right now struggle and difficulty, but the joy in the right now, the, the true happiness, the deep and proper happiness in the right now. And those truths just became living to the church family in a way that, uh, that maybe would have been difficult to experience just from, from the teaching and, and preaching of the word. And, and one of the wonderful things for me was not having to give the church family language to speak in these situations because they had it from God's word. So like they were embedded in this language. So I had a conversation with one of our uh, newest believers who was out of the country when I, tr- I tried not to tell her that, that this had happened until she came back, but she heard through the, through the grapevine. So she rang me up midway through a memorial um, sort of prayer thing that another church was doing for them. And she rang me up and I, and I left and, and I got on the phone and she repeated to me my sermon <laughs> that I'd that I preached. You can't really cry on a podcast, can you? Because no one can see your face. So it just looks like I'm struggling to breathe. Um, but I'm holding it together. It's all right. She repeated to me the words from a sermon that I preached and a point in the sermon where I spoke about her traveling on the, on the plane to go and see her, um, her partner who, who was over in the other country that she was visiting and how that while she was on the plane, she had real joy, even though she wasn't yet with him. But the joy that she would find when she was with her partner was far greater than the, the true joy on the plane. So the plane joy was right but, and, and good, but the joy of actually seeing him, giving him a hug, embracing him. And she repeated that bit of the sermon back to me, knowing that right now they were in that position where they were with the Lord Jesus and, and could see him and had the joy of the gospel in a way that none of us were right now able to, able to have it. And and so the church family were wonderfully fed through that time. I, I, some, I, I, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd written stuff down. I wish I had, had journaled through that because I cannot remember. There's, there's a month at least that I just can hardly remember anything. Um, 
I took the I took the funeral, um, which was up at St Mark's Kennington. Um, Millie's uh, dad is the is the pastor there, and so she'd grown up um, in, in in and around this area. And the, the the church was packed; like there were people on the steps outside the church. They had speakers on the steps outside the church, and yet the gospel impact. So I've heard that that people that I've heard that someone came back to faith at that funeral. And so, and so I'd never want to take away the, the, the tragedy of that. I'd, ne- I'd, I'd never want to pretend that it wasn't, it wasn't a hard time. It was an awful time. And yet at the same time, there's that, there's that tension of in those most awful things that I, would, I, I wouldn't have chosen that way. I still probably now wouldn't choose that. Like, it's not like I'm sat there going, oh, but I'm glad it happened because I'm not glad it happened. And yet I can genuinely see God's goodness in that. There's a, a lady who's a member of Hope Church now called Anne. And Anne used to take her granddaughter to the school where Millie was a teacher. And so she'd see Millie and smile at Millie and chat to Millie every day. She didn't realize Millie was a Christian. She only found that out later on. And she'd been, before that, she'd been invited lots of times to Hope Church, but had no connection between Hope Church and Millie. And then she found out that connection through conversations on the estate with people. A couple of people from Hope Church invited her to come to church. Um, and, and she was then invited um, and, and told, you know, the best way you can honor Toby and Millie, if you want to honor Toby and Millie, why don't you? come to church and hear about what they believe. She went, oh, okay, I will. And so she came for the first time. She'd been in the building before and she'd, you know, for years and years, she'd, she'd had a relationship with, with the stuff that had gone on in this building, but she'd never come to the church. And she came and then she kept coming and she came to the funeral and now she loves Jesus. And now she's doing door-to-door ministry on, this, on the estate, telling people about Jesus and she's bringing people, she's bringing people into the church building and she's sharing Jesus and the love of Jesus. And the thing that she said to me that, that, blows my mind every time I hear it is she said, Sam, I used to be afraid of death, but I'm not afraid of death anymore. <laughs> and she says, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. face. You know what I'm going to do, Sam? The first thing I'm going to do, Sam, is I'm going to give him a big hug. And I just think that's so wonderful. That's not language that most of us would, would use. I'm just going to give Jesus a big hug. We far, we're far too proper for that. But for her, she just longs to see her savior and give him a hug. And that is as a direct result of the, uh, the tragedy that the Lord in his sovereignty had chosen for the Hope Church family to come through. And, and then the, I guess the final thing that, that, that I want to say on that, to, just to encourage um, people who are maybe in preaching ministry, maybe um, you know, future uh, people going to be planting churches, pre- uh, preaching regularly, is that God doesn't play games with his preaching. So God was preparing us as a church to go through what we went through in what we preached in the run up to that. I picked books that I liked to preach. I picked things that I was excited about, books that I was reading, things that I thought weren't going to be too challenging to preach. That's what I, I had my reasons for preaching. They were not the Lord's reasons. And yet it was the Lord who sovereignly was choosing what his people would be fed. And he wasn't just sprinkling out general gospel truths that God's people need to know, which I sometimes think that's what preaching is. There's gospel truths. They're there in the Bible. I'll pick them up and I'll throw them out. And, you know, generally those truths are important. God was specifically preparing his people in Vauxhall for what they were going to go through, through the preaching of their word, uh, through the preaching of his word. Um, and that's, and that's a, a real joy and a, and a privilege that I learned through that, through that tragedy. Sam, I'm sorry to um, make you relive those moments, but thank you for saying that. How can we be praying for you guys here at uh, Hope Church Vauxhall? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Berks, and thanks, um, yeah, people who will pray off the back of this. 
Yeah, the first thing would be that I'd continue to believe that about preaching, that I, um, yeah, I'd continue to preach knowing and believing that God is preparing his people here in Vauxhall for what, uh, yeah, what he's got in, in their path uh, in, in the coming um, weeks and months and years. So pray that I continue to preach with that conviction. Pray that as a diverse church um, with people from all sorts of backgrounds, that we wouldn't have one culture that, that takes over, but that we would um, be good at listening to each other, um, hearing um, how each other uh, does things, um, and that, that genuinely there would be the unity in, in Christ that we know only comes from Christ, but also we work at and we, uh, we work towards. So pray that we would work hard as, as elders for that unity. Uh, some, I guess some practical things. Um, I so far have been the only employee of, of Hope Church. We're, we're, we're hoping that that will change. Um, we're hoping to get some kind of ad- administration support and stuff. And so that would be a real practical thing. Um, I'm absolutely sold that good administration is needed. And I'm a rubbish, rubbish at admin. So pray for me and my admin, but also pray that we'd get the, the, the support of, of, of administration and the gift of administration, which is a real gift that we need. And pray that, that we would see, I, I joked earlier that we haven't seen revival here. <laughs> pray that we would see revival. Like I genuinely want to pray that we would, we would see Many, many people. One, one of my dreams is that um, every block on the estate would have um, at least one Christian family um, on the estate in the coming years, and that that would be the best way to reach this this estate. That would be yeah, twenty twenty six, twenty seven Christian families living on the on on the estate. Pray for that and pray for more. So I'd love to see the Lord doing a work here in Vauxhall, and that that would spread to neighbouring estates and stuff. That's not in my hands. That's not in Hope Church's hands. It's in the Lord's hands. But unashamedly, I, I want to pray that. So if you'd be willing to pray that with me, that'd be great. Yeah, fantastic. If people wanted to find out more about Hope Church Vauxhall, where would they go? I, I mean, come, ha- hang out. <laughs> um, turn up at 105 Tide Street. You can also find us online, so hopevauxhall.co.uk. We're on Facebook, but Facebook mainly is our engagement with, communi- with community and guys in the community, so we don't really use that for anything else than that. And we're occasionally on Twitter, but 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 look us up on the website or, or yeah, yeah, turn up here. I imagine there's a whole load of stuff that you guys do in order to engage with the local community, serve the local community. Give us a flavour. So we do um, football for kids on a Monday night and uh, adults um, straight after that. And then we head to the pub with the, with the adults after the football. On a Wednesday, we run in partnership with food banks. We run a food bank here, but we also run a, a, a cafe here at the same time. So we have a full uh, English breakfast for whoever wants to come cup of tea and a chat. And that's a, just a great way of kind of engaging with people in the community, getting to know people who are using the food bank or who just want the community. Um, on a Thursday, we have a uh, Spanish Bible study for Spanish speakers and a girls club in the evening, boys club on a Friday, and then a lunch club as well on a, on a Friday. And then church service is 11am on a, on a Sunday. Fabulous. We'll stick uh, your socials stuff in uh, in the show notes. So that'll, that'll all be there. Sam, thanks for your time. Thanks for going through that. It's um. It's humbling, uh, but it's thrilling. It is sobering, but it is wonderful. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for having me. Brooks, so what do you make of that? Great conversation. Yeah, great. I mean, great conversation. Yeah. Moving, encouraging. Yeah. So there are three things that I've observed, um, and I will rightly be ridiculed for the fact that they all start with the same letter. We love alliteration. So here you go. First of all, it is a conventional ministry. Secondly, it's community entering. Thirdly, it's contextually shaped. Let me explain what I mean by that. It, it is just a conventional ministry. There's, it is the ministry of the word and God and prayer. It's just plain old gospel ministry applied to that context. And yeah. 
And once you say there are no fireworks, it it is just, you know, real, authentic biblical ministry. The best kind. Yeah. Secondly, it's community entering. In other words, it is all about going into a particular place with a particular group of people and wanting to connect with them personally uh, and wanting to connect with them congregationally. And look, it helps that Sam is just so thoroughly personable that that, that is something that he genuinely wants to mm. do. Same for Charlie as well. And, the, and the, the third observation is just that it is contextually shaped. In other words, he's not taken what he's seen elsewhere and just cut and pasted it into the Vauxhall Gardens estate. He's asked hard questions about who's here, what are they like, what do they like, how will they listen, because he wants to gain traction. He wants the people mm. who live there to be able to interact with the gospel uh, in a way that is straightforward for them. In other words, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. He, he, he's worked hard to, to think, how can I get these people here to listen to what God has to say in his word about the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, I just, and I think, it's, I think it's fabulous. I think one of my observations would be similar to yours in the sense of engaging with the culture to find out what ministry looks like in that context mm. versus coming in with uh, the whole recipe all sorted out. Obviously, he had an idea for what biblical uh, word-based ministry looks like but then the rest of the bits are informed by, like, as he said, sort of colors in the chicken shop vibe, um, the iconic mural on the side of the building, the, the way they do church. As we know, the gospel should always be primary, but those other things, you know, do matter to a community. Well, I, I was going to say, if, if there is a pathway and you want to get people who are totally disconnected from the gospel to connect with the gospel, you've got to work out ways of doing that. And, you, and you're doing that personally through your interactions, but you're also going to do that congregationally. Yeah. So he's worked out, look, I have a responsibility to teach the gospel and teach the word to the people in front of me in such a way that they can understand and grasp it. And he's worked out how to do that. And you just think mm. it's not cut and paste that into a, every other context, but for his context, he has worked out, this is how I can get people to listen to the word of God mm. and interact with it, believe it and respond to it. You just think that is, it's just, it's brilliant. Yeah. Briefly touching as well, uh, just sort of close things out. The tragedy of Toby and Millie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Rough situation. But in that, as he says himself, seeing God work through that, bringing that community through that, and the specific examples of people coming to faith based on those two people's ministry is huge. Yeah. I think the one thing that struck me from that was the the preparatory work of God in, in, in getting a congregation ready for a disaster that they had no idea was going to befall them. Yep. And for Sam to be able to look back at that and say, that is the providence of God. It's his sovereignty. He, he was in charge from day one and we were made to realize that that was the case through Toby Millie's death and what happened thereafter. And, and I think we, we, we were there you know, we, we saw Sam being interviewed and we saw the effect of that upon him yep. emotionally and personally. And it's hard for that to come across, mm. but you know, there's a guy who's got a pastoral congregation through their grief, as well as together with Charlie grieving the loss of their great friends. I mean, that is a tough scenario. And um, God has been very kind to them in giving them faith and resilience to persevere and to believe the gospel that Jesus is alive and he will save those who belong to him. 
that's it from us. We'll be back next month with another episode of the Commission Planting Podcast with Alex Brito from Mosaic Multicultural Church. Um, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>